All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to TalkWave. Now this, it just gets better. I mean, Tom Curran was great. We've got an amazing guest today, Mr. Jerry Lopez. Let's go live with him. Jerry! Is that working? Can you go vertical? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> now, hey, I'll talk to you upside down all day long. Uh, okay, hey, hold on. I'm new at this stuff, you know. Hey, and we, we love you for it. You were just in the spin cycle right there. All right, yeah. Jerry, thank you so much for doing this. Welcome to Instagram Live of all things at this phase of your life. I know, this is all new. Well, so. I appreciate uh, your interest and especially during this time that everybody's at home respectfully staying safe. Uh, we're providing a platform of entertainment and I'm simply going through a Rolodex of my heroes And I don't know how I'm going to top you. So this is fantastic. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm looking a little dark here, but I think that's all the light we got. You that's know, fine. You look great. <laughs> hey, you look fantastic. Um, way up here at North, it uh, gets dark earlier. So Jerry, I got an issue. You got an issue? Yeah, you know, we got this whole thing going on, but recently somebody stole my belt buckle. Oh, man. Someone once told me that you told him that you took his stuff, you pound him. I know. <laughs> Actually, I just watched that um, turtle put it up, and uh, <laughs> that was pretty funny. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that. And uh, there's so many monumental moments with you. Um, I'd really like to just start from the beginning. You know, I'm not coming here as a surf historian. I'm here as a surf fan, as an 80s baby. And I'd love to know where it all began for Jerry Lopez, who became Mr. Pipeline, and, and how it got from, hey, man, I love surfing, to the pipeline is what matters. <laughs> Well, it's a long story. I don't know if we got enough time, but let's, you know, let's for, go to the highlight bits <laughs> for, um, most of the surfers in Hawaii, uh, it, especially in my generation, it all began at Waikiki in some form or another. And for me and my brother, Victor, it was my mom that, uh, took us down there and she had a, uh, a couple of students at Kaimaki High that had a surfboard concession. And I don't know if she gave them a break on grades or homework or something, but they let her borrow a couple boards. So we got to go down and pick out a couple boards and paddle out. And she swam out with us. And, you know, that was it. She said, get ready. And she turned the board around and shoved it in. and. 
that was the beginning. And, you know, it was uh, pretty magic from that moment forward. And that was uh, 62 years ago, and it's been magic ever since. So you started in town and ended up in country. At what point did you say, wow, there's a seven mile miracle of world renowned surf, you know, that we, we all know now, but it really began maybe during that time that you started surfing as a kid. Did you get to watch the beginning of pipeline being ridden? No, I mean, you know, we were town guys. The country was pretty far away and You know, actually, the two youngsters that uh, spent any of their youth out there was uh, Jock Sutherland, whose mom lived right there, country, and um, then Jeff Hackman. You know, his, his dad moved out there, and I mean that was was really for Jeff you know, already in high school. But um, I think my first time going out to the country was, oh, I was probably in the ninth grade, you know, and the only place we think about going was Reef when it was really small. And, you know, we'd go look at, at Haleiwa and, and Sunset and, um, Pipeline wasn't, there wasn't much going on there back then. And I know it was in my sophomore year, I think I was probably 14 years old or so. Um, a friend of mine and I, Chamberlain, he was my service partner. We were headed out to go to a class picnic in Aula and is that your fault? Yeah, keep going. I'm at my parents' house, Jerry. All right. Bring us to Haula. Keep going. Well, we went to Haula by uh, way of the North Shore, you know, and we drove. This was would have been the the winter of '63, '64, and for some reason that was. Surf was really small that winter, and I mean, I remember there was a surf magazine that, you know, the harbor team had gone over there. Rich too was a great harbor team rider, and and he came over, and and I remember the the title was Chew Chew's Island Tiny because it was, it was small surf. So anyway. Um, Tommy and I were headed out there, you know, we uh, drove through Hollywood, drove by Chun's Reef, and he had pipeline in his mind. He wanted to go there. So we drove, you know, down and pulled up in the empty lot. It wasn't a beach park back then. It was just an empty lot. And uh, no one there. I mean, th there was no one there. Either way on the beach, there wasn't a soul. 
the houses were all quiet and you know there were these little tiny perfect waves and the beach was big because there hadn't been wells so it was pretty beautiful i don't know if you've seen that beach summer when it's big it it's the sand moves a lot pipeline so it's clean it's it's beautiful you know best sand in the world and dragged our boards we both had uh warty surfboard and we got down there and little peak at the pipeline it was i don't know head high maybe slightly overhead we were the only guys there we paddled out And, you know, those long boards, we couldn't make one single jump. I mean, waves stood up way too fast. Those boards were way too straight, you know, no rock. Every wave, we just purled. <laughs> you know, frustrated, we gave up. We just let the boards wash in on the beach, and we were body surfing. And we saw somebody coming down the beach with a surfboard, and he was wearing a coconut hat. And he paddled out on his board with his coconut hat on Doc Sutherland. Wow. And we hadn't really met him, but knew who he was because he was you know, probably the best young or, or one of them in Hawaii at the time. And man, he just like, you know, took the place apart. And so we swam, got our boards and paddled back out. Of course, ate it again. You know, we watched and he um, he gave us both a tip. He said, if you take off at an angle, you might have a little more chance. And that was, you know, really the key because, um, you know, we were used to reef or town where the waves were softer and, and not deep and taking off at an angle on a steep wave is the way to do it, you know, and that was it. And we got pretty jazzed, we made waves, and then we had to, um, we had to leave because we were you know, supposed to be at the class picnic. <laughs> and I remember asking, you know what time it is? You know, nobody had watches on that. Jock looks up at the sun, oh, we're like 14 years old. And he goes, it's 10.43. <laughs> okay. And so we all, we go, you know, and so we went in and, and Tommy uh, watching his car and we looked and it probably took us maybe three or four minutes to get in. And it was like 10.46 or 10.47, you know. No way. I mean, we were both all the way because we we're supposed to be at the last picnic at 10 and so we were <laughs> and uh, we wondered did he know what time it was but you know jock was like that he was like i think he's he was from outer space he, uh, <laughs> he knew a lot more than than most people knew certainly more than us still does so jerry 
this is so awesome to hear, you know, your first wave ever. And let's call you an adolescent. How much of a time span was it from learning how to angle at the pipeline to being on the lightning bolt board, riding your first, let's call it a real pipeline wave. And when did the addiction take you over? Because on that stretch, you had those options of Waimea, Sunset, Holly Eva, and Pipeline, like you said, but you focused on Pipeline. How did it go from being that kid that almost was late to the picnic where that rush of adrenaline got a hold of you and it, it was it? Well, you know, it was a, a process. I mean, life is a process and it was a long process. But it really um, started to happen for me at the pipeline in late 67, early 68, when uh, Dick Brewer, you know, this is a, a whole nother long story. Um, we have this time, Jerry. We have time. Brewer, you know, um, Brewer was in 67, was working for... Uh, Bing Copeland, and he was building the Bing Pipeliners. And really at that time, you know, all the great young surfers in Hawaii, um, Jackie Everly, Kiki Spangler, Jimmy Lucas, Roy Mesker, Mike McPherson, uh, Reno Avalara, who was, you know, young, uh, they all rode pipeline. And most of them were just production pipeliners. Jock, on the other hand, and Jeff had, you know, custom shapes from RB, from uh, Brewer, that had the pipeline label on them. And, you know, Jock had uh, these two beautiful pipelines. And he used to loan, he had a 9.5 and a 9.4, and the 9.5 was the one that he came pretty close to, certainly gave Nat a good run for the 66 world titles in San Diego. You know, everybody talks about how Nat swept that. Well, it, it actually, it was a, a pretty close fought heat, and Jock came in second right behind that and he rode this pipeliner that had black and white checkered slip check nose uh, you know of course Nat had that beautiful you know, just carving turny style of surfing that no one had really seen back then it was more posing nose riding you know David the King Jock was pretty good at all that too. And, you know, he was, uh, had these two boards. The other one was this 944, and it was kind of a sleek down version of a pipeliner. And my buddy, Buddy Dumpy, and I would drive out more shore. This would, would have been in 60, early 67. 
um, because in 66 to 67, I, you know, went away to California to go to college and fill all longboards and uh, the pipeline was coming into being. And when I came back that summer, all the good guys were running pipeliners and, um, you know, the, the world Cup had happened. And, and so Buddy and I, when winter started, I uh, go back to school. I wanted to stay out of semester, which my dad said, you're a fool because you're going to get drafted, you know. And I said, well, I, I just want to surf. And um, so we, Buddy and I would drive up to the country and we'd stop at Jock's house. And, you know, to this day, I can't believe how generously and unfailingly every time we showed up would loan us his 9-4. You know, back then, of course, we were built a lot stronger than they are today. And you know, we were really, really careful with that board because, you know, we'd never, like, go to Hockey Point or anywhere where we lost the board because that way before leashes that it would, you know, go on the rocks and, you know, heaven forbid, get a ding, you know, and have to take it back. Down, you know, not in the same that he loved it. So we were always really careful and, you know, sometimes pipeline, but mostly we go to Velsyland left and one day, you know, my turn on the board and I was out there riding it and, uh, you know, I just loved that board. It was just sleek and thin and it went really good. It was a 9-4 and, um, you know, all the pipeliners, they had the foam offset t-band stringers with the stringer down the center and um you know it said bing pipeline um i was riding it going left at Belsyland. buddy was a goofy foot too so he always went left you know most of the good guys would go right at Bell. and brewer paddled up and um, you know, so we got some waves together and he said how do you like that board and I said, this is the best port road and seen and touched and this is the best board ever. And he goes, you know, he like turned around to catch a wave and he well come to Maui and I'll shape you one. And you know, he rode a wave and gone and I went, Wow. I didn't think he even know knew who I was, you know. <laughs> like nobody. And and I went in and I told Don and he went, you better get a blank and go, you know. <laughs> so um actually I went with Reno. We both went down to Surfline Hawaii and Fred Swartz felt these reject, you know, second Mark blanks that he would bring in and Reno and I each got a blank. We got a flight to Maui. We hitchhiked from Kalaui with our blank and pack them or anything. And uh, got to Lahaina and Brewer had just, you know, he had left big 
kind of in a pop, I guess. I don't know what happened. There was some kind of disagreement. And apparently he was um, angry at Bing for saying all his boards were twisting in this one wall rack. And so before he left, he the wall rack, all the, you know, the racks down left. And, uh, and then he ended up in Lahaina um, shaping for Buddy Boy Aohi, who was a, a great surfer, but kind of a notorious character. And, you know, it ended up, he just started at what ended up becoming the Lahaina Surf Design and Lahaina Surf Design LSD. So the first board he shaped was for Buddy Boy. The second board he shaped for himself. Third board was Reno's board. And then my board was going to be next. Know, the days went by and you know my board still didn't get shaped and you know finally like days turned into a week and almost two weeks and um finally he said okay i'm gonna shape tomorrow and so you know bright and early you know and I there at the shop john thurston who had work for Wardy and come over and open the Wardy shop and you know I became friends with him and that's when Tommy and I used to ride the Wardy. I had a whole bunch of, of the boards. They were really great surfboards too. Um, he had the glass shop and Buddy Boy had contracted okay you can buy all the boards that Brewer shapes. So we're waiting for Brewer to show up and finally he shows up and just as he shows up this car turns you know into the there and drives up and all these boards on the roof and a couple of these boards are really strange looking there were these wide tailed deep v pretty short boards at that time you know and, and the board that Reno got a 9.8, and that's what I wanted to do. 10-foot board was like standard for the time. Wow. And so the doors open, and out steps Bob McTab, Nat Young, Russell Hughes, and the two Wits brothers, uh, John and Paul. And, you know, they come by to see Brewer and, and – the shop and talk about surfboards and you know he smoked a couple joints or buddy boy had <laughs> powerful ganja and um, <laughs> you know, they pulled these deep v <laughs> you know they were the first australian surfboards the, the wide tail deep v boards and and uh, you know they showed them to brew we're like they didn't look like they you know maybe in small ways they probably work pretty good but in uh you know ways in the country that the tails were like i mean wide like i don't know, 15 inches wide or something that was just the tails they you know they looked 
almost like the old plant shapes from the early wood boards, you know, before fins and all that, as far as the outline went. But they had uh, really nice tapered rails. And I mean, tails were like super thick, like five, six inches thick with this wow. really deep V. And they had these beautiful fins. I forgot who was driving the car was George Greeno. No and way. The fins were, you know, Greeno fins. And they were they tripped out on them and they talked to Brewer for hours. Then those guys go surfing and um so finally you know they got mctaff back in the car and off they went and Brooke was all fired up and you know we went over to the shaping room and buddy boy and reno and i go in the shaping room going okay it's my turn my blanks in the corner it's a 10-6 or something and brewer puts the blank down on the rack and on, he saws the foot on the nose, you know. I go, hey, RB, I want a, I want a 9.8 just like Reno. And he, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he walks around to the tail and he saws like a foot off the tail, you know. Oh, RB, what's up? And he goes, he didn't even like say anything, you know. He goes, don't worry about it, you know. <laughs> And Reno's over there. He's like giggling in the corner, and, and Buddy Boy's scratching his head because you know, nobody's ever had a board that short. It was like eight six, you know. And I'm going, oh man. And so he starts shaping this board, and it wasn't, you know. I mean, he like had to fit these different templates, and he took his hot dog nose, and you know drew the nose on and he got these gun templates to try and fit the tail, you know, and I'm looking at this board and none of us have ever seen a a shape like this, you know, and it was like a big, big teardrop and, you know, it had the hot dog nose, gun tail. And I was just going, huh, man, where's my pipeliner? I wanted one like jock and, Anyway, he shapes this board, you know, and he put V in the tail and and then and it was all done, you know, and and uh, he goes, take it over to Thurston. And so I, you know, took the blank over and John comes out of the glassing shop and he goes, oh, you got your new board finally. And I go, yeah, what do you think, man? And he looks at it, you know, he had these like thick Coke bottle glasses. He's like looking through the glasses and he looks at the thing, you know, and he goes, hey, interesting, you know. <laughs> and I'm going, well, you know, it's my, my first brewer and, you know. So they glass it up and left us it and a couple days later the surf came up really big and out to Honolulu and I think we ate some acid on the way and you know we got there and it was like it was big Honolulu but the swell was 
you know, kind of north. I wasn't, you know, I mean, I'd surfed home a number of times, but I wasn't real familiar with it yet. Later on, you know, you know, moved and lived on Maui and surfed it a lot. I understood what was going on, but it was a north swell, so. It was a little weird, and it, but it was big, you know, and and we all paddled out, you know, it's all jazz. We all had new boards. Brewer had his, Buddy Boy had his, Reno, me, brand new boards, and you know, right off the first wave, Brewer catches, he loses his board. It goes in the cave and breaks the cap. I'm just going, oh man, you know. So Reno and I are like sitting on the shoulder hoping if you know we're not gonna lose our boards and buddy boy's just like ripping the place to call that bay you know because he had it like totally wired he was really a great surfer and uh finally he loses his board too and it goes in the cave and it breaks in half shit two brand new boards and then reno loses his board and it breaks in half and i'm looking at it and i'm going i'm looking at my new board i go no way man and i caught a little shoulder a tail between my legs and rode in and as i was paddling into the boat ramp because that's where we always used to park back then nat and uh russell hughes are paddling up and Nat's got that, you know, wide tail bottom board. And Russell's board was kind of more conventional. You know, it was um, it was shorter, but it was still, you know, like I don't know, six or something like that. And um, Nat spins out on that wide tail board on the first wave and loses it in. And the nose breaks off. It was a stringless board, so it broke really easy. I mean, it didn't even go in the cave. It, you know, went in, washed in, like, by the cable, the rocks there, the nose broke off, and that was the end of that. And so we're sitting there, and Russell Hughes, you know, It was the first time I met him. I never really knew what a great surfer he was, but he took that place apart. And you know, later on when I got to spend some time with him and we talked about that day, he said, yeah, it's like a place called Angari that he bought um, back in Australia. And, and uh, he really, he really surfed well that day. So anyway, you know, Reno's board's broken in half. We go, we leave Honolulu and we go back and we ran into Tom Stone. He goes, hey, there's some big waves at Honolulu. So we go out there and, you know, it was pretty decent, but it was kind of closing out. And, you know, I got some pretty good waves on that board and started, wow, this is really a cool board, man. I really like how it works. Tommy and, and Reno are both looking, let me try it, let me try it. And I'm going, hey man. And, you know, then 
starts blowing Kona wind and Tommy goes, I know this place on the other side of the island that's going to be straight out really good. And so we go, you know, and, and uh, Brewer and, and his wife Betty at the time, you know, we, he had a camper and we all piled in that camper. We drove over to the other side and went to Kaului and, you know, Tommy told us where to go. And we went through this like, you know, hiking area and we pull up this kind of rocky cobblestone beach and he goes, look at that. And we look out and there's like this perfect peak, you know, kind of a short right, but this long thing left. The wind straight or and it's like, you know, eight to 10 feet. It's nice. And, but the beach is, you know, I mean, it's like river stones, cobblestones, but it's rock, you know, it's like what we used to call big sand back and uh we go out and it was really good you know later on you know i don't know it's five or six years later or it was a number of years later when i moved to maui that actually became one of my favorite spots it was called Pakukalu, and uh it was just this great laugh and you know the guys were still bugging me especially tommy you know let me try that board and I, and, you know, when we got back Honolulu, then I let everybody cry. Um, and, you know, everybody went, wow, we got to get to these boards because, you know, it was like one of the first real short boards of the period. That would have been. in late 67 and i think it was uh, betty who came up with the name she goes well let's call them mini guns you know because that's what it was kind of and that stuck and, you know all rb's um team riders jock jeff you know all guys ended up getting boards like mine but not for a while because i had the first one and i remember going to the Haleiwa Sea Spree had a contest at, and it was really pretty good Haleiwa and it was like a ton of wind days offshore and, and uh, you know that was always in February and I remember all the guys used my board in that contest I wouldn't like you know in the contest I was kind of a kook but I had the the board and you know i remember jeff tried it Josh tried it and um you know jimmy lucas Kiki spangler they all tried it. oh man you know and then that was it they all had to have that and i remember one day you know, not long after that jackie eberly who was like the best surfer of our group then he you know, it was another really good day, Oliva, and um, he had like a 10-6 beautiful brewer gun, you know, big Oliva, it was 10-foot Oliva, 
and uh, he goes, let me try that board, you know, so switch boards with him. And wow, he had he got to ride this gun of his. And, you know, he caught a wave and, and I didn't see him for kind of a long time. And I caught a wave, you know, and finally he comes paddling back out to the line. He goes, give me my board back, man. This thing doesn't paddle for shit. <laughs> 22 inches wide. I mean, I could actually knee paddle it, you know, once I got used to it, but that was, you know, he was older than us and he was probably the most skilled surfer, probably one of the top surfers in Hawaii at that time. Um, and that was his reaction to that littler board was it doesn't paddle for shit. <laughs> well, you know, but that was the beginning. And I mean, you know, it wasn't until years later that they, uh, I don't know who coined the the phrase, but they ended up calling it the shortboard revolution. And, you know, if indeed it was a revolution. You know, I, I think that uh, that first minigun was that Brewer shaped was the first shot fired, at least in Hawaii. That's amazing. And, you know, talk about surfboard evolution, so many shapes and different fin templates and fin placements and number of fins. I'm sure everybody was scratching their heads as it evolved to what I ride today. Was it that board that helped you get that steep angle takeoff at pipeline? to be able to ride and start getting the line to go from point A to point B out there? Yeah, I actually had a day out at the pipeline and it was kind of a, you know, there were some good ways. And um, <clears throat> I was with a friend of mine, Timmy Pella, whose dad, um, you know, they had, had moved from California, they actually, um, lived on Catalina and his dad was uh, uh, into making clothes and, and you know he started a menswear store his name was um, Ren McCullough and so it was called men's uh, Ren's menswear and it was like the the coolest store you know for like you know nice clothes and um he had a partner named i can't remember what her first name was but spooner so they started this line called ren spooner and they were the first like aloha print uh reverse print aloha shirts uh with you know yeah, um button down collars they, between Rand and Dave Rockland, who you know, started Surfline Hawaii and Jay, um, they petitioned the, the local uh, government, the state government, to, well, actually, it was the city and county government. Government to declare Fridays. Aloha Friday, so all the businessmen didn't have to wear suits and ties to work. They could wear 
an Aloha shirt on Friday. And, um, you know, but it had to be like kind of grassy Aloha shirt. And that's what, uh, you know, Ren Spooner and Dave Rockland had developed um, this reverse print that kind of muted the loud Aloha colors and um, button down collars. So it looked, you know, pretty formally tucked, always tucked it in. Anyway, his son, Jimmy, and I, same age, and, and um, you know, we were in a um, surf clubs together, and he was a photographer, and we went out to the pipeline this one day, and I had that brewer, and this would have been like early, you know, 68, and he kept, wow, I'll take some pictures. It didn't look that good, but all of a sudden, there was some good waves, so I paddled out, and those were the really the first pictures of me at the pipeline, and one of them was a beautiful shot on that eight brewery, you know, and it was a sequence shot, so you can see the, the shape of the board as I'm dropping in, and then bottom turn shot and uh, I'll uh, I'll text you the pictures and please but you know that was the beginning of me and my affair with the pipeline really because that board really opened the the door for me so to speak you know it was a board that, that fit well on that wave and you know, before that, the pipeline was, uh, I mean, it, you know, guys surfed it, especially when it was good, but it wasn't a real popular spot. Sunset Beach, that was the place, you know, and that was the main break, and everybody there, all the best surf, all the best surfing happened at Sunset, and, you know, Haleiwa was maybe the second best spot. And Pipeline was like, you know, way down the list. And, um, you know, when you're talking about uh, the evolution of the shape of the shortboard, after that 8-6, um, you know, I wanted to, that board was glassed really lightly, so it started to fall apart. And, you know, I wanted to get another one, but like Brewer was swamped, everybody wanted mini guns. And so, you know, Buddy Dumphy goes, well, let's just make our own boards. Yes. I went, why are we going to do that? And he goes, well, you watched him make this board, didn't you? <laughs> and I thought about it. Yeah, actually I did. He goes, well, you know how to do it. We can do it. And I went, you know, and Buddy was that way. And he was, everybody was going this way. Buddy would always go that way. And so I went, okay. And we had, you know, we each had boards. So we stripped the fiberglass off them. And now we had foam. No and way. He had some sawhorses at his dad's house, you know, and 
we set them up on the sidewalk. Wow. He shaved his first. And then when he was done, I shaped mine. And, you know, I think mine was seven six. And we went down to Farber Glass and Ken Culler, sweet old man. He owned Fiberglass Hawaii at that time, and he ended up selling it to Ted Wilson, who has it now. But, you know, he goes, okay, what do you guys need? And we go, okay, well, we just made our first surfboard, you know, we need resin and fiberglass and glass. And he goes, okay, how long are they? And, you know, oh. Well, they're seven six, and he goes, "Okay, well, you need one layer on the bottom, probably two layers on the top, so you need this much fiberglass." And he goes, "This is how much resin you need. You know, this is kind of this is your sanding resin. You know, when you do your hot coat, and here's some fin rope when you lay up your fins." And you know, he just like set us up, and then we said, "Okay." So how much is all that? And he goes, okay, add it up. $15. Dumpy <laughs> and, and I looked at each other and went, holy cow. Okay. <laughs> you know, so for $15, basically, we made ourselves new surfboards because, you know, we already had the, the boards. And, um, You know, we glassed them up, and I remember Buddy had this great idea. So we went down to the Hare Krishna store, and we bought these posters, you know, of the, I think mine was the blue elephant, and I don't know what, <laughs> but, you know, we glassed them on the deck, and then couldn't wait. You know, we went down, and uh, as soon as they were done, went down to Alamoana and went surfing. And we paddled out, and all the guys are looking at us, you know, they're tripping out on our boards and paddled out, you know, buddy paddled out, rode our first wave, came back, and he goes, how's yours work? I go, unreal. And he goes, oh, mine works really good. That's the best board I ever had. And in a way, because they were so much shorter than any board we had, you know. And we could do all these turns and do all this stuff that we'd never been able to do before on the longer board on that 8.6. And I remember, you know, we surfed and surfed and finally we passed it. And this, you know, guy I knew was waiting in the parking lot and I, you know, climbed out of the, the yard there up into the parking lot. And he walks up to me, he's got money in his hand, you know, cash money. And he goes, I want to buy your board. Wow. And, I, and I looked at the money and I go, how much money you got? He got $80. And I remember how much board cost me. And, you know, I really liked it. I looked at the money and went, okay. <laughs> and I gave him the board and he gave me the money. And, you know, I mean, just like that. I was in the surfboard business. Yeah.
And wow, you know, with money, I was able to make another board. And, and I mean, that's how it evolved. And, and you know, as far as the pipeline went, anywhere knew what a surfboard was supposed to look like back then. And, and so there was every variation of shape that you could imagine. And, you know, we went through a lot of boards and especially at the pipeline, because no boards lasted very long at the pipeline. And, you know, you, you might get a peak or if, the, you know, if it was, if you surfed it a lot or, you know, maybe only a day and eventually, you know, that board would be in two pieces. If you had a good skeg, you'd probably break the skeg off. You'd go home, you know, and you'd make yourself another board and try again. This one was a, a big stop to getting a board that was, you know, better than the one before. And, and each one was like that at that time. That would, you know, 68 going into 69. that the boards, um, you know, were really evolving quickly, and finally coming, you know, towards something that seemed to work really well. And I mean, we went through a lot of <laughs> variations and um, different shapes. And, you know, eventually <laughs> it got to where the boards worked a lot better than the the ones before. Was the lightning bolt an airbrush to begin with or was that a marketing campaign? No, I mean, lightning bolt, Jack Shippey and I, you know, we were both working for Fred Swartz there at um, Surfline Hawaii. And, you know, the way it happened was um, actually there was a surfer, Chris Green, and he was, he was this kid that came from Wyoming and he was a cowboy, you know, and he came from a cowboy background. He came when he was pretty young to Kailua and he got with the surf and he was one of those guys, you know, probably like Kelly Slater or maybe yourself, you know, that he got on a surfboard and came surfing came really quick to him i was good right away got better really quickly and he was a little older than us and uh he started making surfboards and you know when i first met him he was working at at inner island surf shop which was one of the main surf at the time there weren't any brewer had surfboards Hawaii and Inner Island, really the the main shop. You know, Downing had shop building boards. <coughs> but um, Chris was working there, and then you know this has been sixty or so. He started working for Fred Sports, and because he was such a good surfer, his shapes probably evolved faster and he was a good shaper than almost anyone else's at that time period 
Another guy, Ryan Dotson, was also a great surfer and a shaper. And um, his boards were really progressive, too. His were really nice. Cabell rode his boards, Joey Cabell, for a period um, before Joey making his own. But Chris was, you know, he was really checked out. And, um, he made these beautiful boards. He was really generous too and open and he'd let Dump and I come to the shop while he was shaping, you know. And, you know, he'd make these boards and, you know, he'd tell us what he was doing and because one for him was a, an evolution too, you know, and they were beautiful and they were selling them and, you know, Fred Swartz was selling them in Surfline. Um, you know, I, all I remember Chris saying was, don't touch that board, your hands. It's <laughs> <laughs> right, you know, we always had dirty hands. <laughs> but a lot of the early shaping that Buddy and I did, we learned from Chris. And so, you know, we were making a lot of boards because all our friends wanted them. And, and we went through, you know, a lot of shapes. And, you know, at first it was just stripping down old long boards and, um, you know, shaping out of those, you know, <laughs> was, you never knew what you were going to get when you strip long board. And I think my first power tool was a skill grind that I could grind the rails, you know, and peel the glass off really easily. Wow. And then, you know, of course, my second was a, a skill 100 and remember it cost $60, you know, at uh, Gas Pro. And um, I remember the first thing I did with that plan, I was shaping in a friend of ours garage and, uh, you know, I was holding the planer in my right hand and I was lifting up the blank with my left hand you know, look down at, I let the planer go down a little too far, and it was still spinning, and it caught in my shorts, and just you know, <laughs> dragged the planer right into my leg, cut the hell out of my leg, had to go to the hospital and get some, well, had to learn that lesson. Um, I think it was about 69, the whole, uh, you know, LSD surfboard kind of evaporated and Brewer came back through Honolulu and going to move to Kauai and um, start Hanapepe surfboard. He asked me, I mean, kind of out of the blue, which was really pretty much a shock to me, you know, he said, hey, I want you to come over and go skate, you know, for me and how oh, yeah. And I went, kidding? <laughs> sure. What an opportunity. And, and uh, I mean, RB had the most beautiful styles of shaping. 
It was like a dance. He'd walk up and down that board and he'd claim that thing top and bottom pretty far down. And, and then once, planing, once he was done with the planer work, that was it. Never, you know, he put the planer down and then it was uniform and sandpaper after that. So I really learned a, a lot about technique, shaping technique from him. And, you know, to this day, that the way I, and I watched a lot of papers, the way they shaped and, uh, you know, tried a lot of things they did, like, you know, hit cross cut a lot. And, um, Diffenderfer used to do that too. Diffenderfer would actually, you know, put the board on a rail and shape one whole side at a time and flip it over and shape the other side. And, um, you know, everybody had their own techniques, but um, I learned quite a bit. You know, that, that year the, uh, at Hanapepe Surfboards, we made some pretty nice boards. I mean, you know, we made that, the Purple People Leader that Jock Sutherland rode in the- Purple People Leader. <laughs> in uh, 69 when he didn't win that year i don't know if matt or doyle won but jock really wowed him and he we made the it was a 610 that all rode in the um 68 world championships in puerto rico the year that fred won um you know he really surfed well in that and everybody really kind of tripped out on the board he had so there's a, you know a bunch of good boards came up. but um you know that ran its course and we had to go back to honolulu when we got back there, Fred Swartz told me, he said, hey, if you want to uh, make surfboards here, let's do Lopez labels, you know? And basically back then there wasn't, nobody had logo, you know, you just wrote your name on the board and it and um, so you know I had own boards at, at Surfline Hawaii you know Surfline was great stores actually started by Dave Rockland and Dick Matt because Matt's had the Hobie shop in Hawaii you know he had tremendous you know of course Hawaii you know, it was a big center. All the other manufacturers, Gordon and Smith. Do you want to, how's that sun on your face? You want to pull the blind down? Tony's doing that right now. I think, yeah, I was going to say, let's get that sun out of your face, Jerry. You had enough of that already. Pull that upper one up too. <laughs> yeah, the sun's going down. I guess I'm a little long. 
long winded. Is that better? Tell, tell your wife, thank you. There you go. I saw it. I'm scared. <laughs> so anyway, you know, all the other manufacturers, um, Gordon and Smith, Hanson, especially Hanson, um, Dewey Weber, Jacobs, Yater, you know, they all were thinking about, well, we could come over and start a shop in Hawaii too, because Hobie's really selling a lot of boards out of his shop. And so, it was kind of, you know, Dick Metz figuring it out. Oh, I know a good way to make him to stop that talk. So he started Surfline Hawaii with uh, Big Dave Rockland, and they carried all those brands. Uh, and so, you know, he had a lot of success there selling boards because. They were all the other, you know, major manufacturers. Um, and so he got me a gig with Don Hansen building, uh, you know, my models for Hansen's. And that was in, would have been in 1960. So. And Jack Shipley was the man. And you know, he's okay, guys, we are back. Let's see if we can get Jerry back on here. This is amazing. Are you guys freaking out too? Yeah, I am. Here we go. Get Jerry back on. <laughs> Okay, Jerry, there's a thing called breaking the internet, and you're doing it right now. We broke it? Yeah, because you're so popular and everyone's loving this so much. Oh, I don't know about that. It's, it's a fantastic <laughs> sign, so let's roll with it and see how it goes. Everything's been fantastic so far. I'm sorry the internet had to break off what's been just the most epic story time. We'd love to have you continue. <laughs> if, if you got the win for it, you let us know. Yeah, sorry about that. I don't, I can't remember what we were talking about. Oh, the um, lightning bolt. Yeah, yes. I think that might, we might have to save that for another day, but <laughs> I was working for, you know, Don Hansen and then, um, Shipley said, hey, the Hobie shop is up for sale. You know, this friend of ours, Carl Heyer, had bought it from Metz and he couldn't sell surfboards, so he just wanted out. So he was gonna sell us all the fixtures and the, you know, turn over the lease to us for like nothing, you know? And Shipley goes, you want to take a chance, start our own shop? I went, okay. And that was the summer of 1970. And that's Jack and I started Lightning Bolt. Wow. So, <clears throat> you know, that was a whole other process in itself. So Jerry, you, you know, you've got the board, you've got the shape, you have, locals wanting to ride your boards at 
the most famed stretch of surf in the world. And then a thing called the Pipe Masters comes along. Yeah, that was in 1971. Okay, let's jump ahead a year. Yeah. So, you know, how did you how did, how did you guys come up with with the competition, the idea, who was invited? No, it was uh, Fred Hemmings and Randy Rarick <clears throat> and <coughs> Hold on. Hey. You take as many water breaks as you want. <laughs> Talking too much. Oh, so for, but we love it. We love it. You know, Fred, um, who won the 68 World Championships, a great Hawaiian surfer, and he was a year ahead of me in high school. And, you know, he was a, a jock, man. He, I mean, he. I think he was a captain of the football team and he was a tough guy you know and he was a great surfer and big waves and he uh he had the idea that you know surfing could be a professional sport just like football you know major league baseball or anything so he somehow swung a deal with continental Airlines and <clears throat> they, you know, liked his idea. He was going to create this surf contest at this place that no one had ever had a surf contest before. And they gave him some money. And so he created the pastor. And, you know, the first year, I think there were six of us invited. I can't even remember who was in it, me and Jeff and Corky and um, maybe Jimmy Blears, Billy Hamilton. Wow. And I, I don't, I can't hear you. And, and that was 1971. And I remember every day, you know, we'd go down the pipeline and crappy. It was like North Swell and North Wind. And I remember going there one morning, you know, it wasn't a beach park. It was just an empty lot. And Corky's sitting there and, and he's reading a newspaper in his car and there's nobody else there. And I walked out and looked at the surf. North Wind, North Swell. Kitty, and <laughs> you know, Corky, and he goes, oh, it looks pretty bad now. And I go, man, I don't think they're gonna have it. So I split. I don't know what I did, you know. Probably went and got stoned or something. <laughs> you know, not thinking more of it and. Then that, you know, evening I'm watching the news and they go through the news and then they have the sports section. They talk about the pipeline masters. Jeff Hackman no masters. And I go, no way. Oh, are you kidding? How did I know? <laughs> what happened was Fred showed up 
and the wind had just kind of, you know, got more east, and he was, you know, kind of desperate to run the tent, and there were decent waves, you know. Corky Fred goes, where's Lopez? And Corky goes, I don't know. <laughs> a while ago. And he goes, well, we got a contest. You know how to get a hold of him? Nobody telephones back then or anything. <laughs> so Mike Armstrong was down there and Fred goes down to the, you know, and Corky he goes, who's that out there? You know, Army was getting some good waves. And he goes, that's Mike Armstrong. And he goes, paddle out there and see if he wants to be in the contest. <laughs> no way. And so that's how Army got in the contest, you know. And, <clears throat> you know, afterwards, Corky took a lot because everybody, you know, years later said, well, Corky told him the contest wasn't on, but that wasn't how it happened. Corky and I were It just, it didn't look any good to me. And, uh, Anyway, the next, there were still only six guys in the contest. This is 72? This would have been 72. Okay. I'm sure I stuck around and, um, <laughs> you know, I was, you know, except for maybe Billy, Hamilton, probably the guy really regularly campaign the pipeline. Anytime wave, I'd go out. I mean, it didn't even have to be that oh, one good wave. I'd paddle out. And so, you know, when it was decent, and I think those, you know, that second year, it was okay. I mean, there was some, it was big, it was eight, 10 feet, and there were some good waves. And <clears throat> Oh, the other thing that Fred had was he had he had talked uh, ABC Wide World of Sports into televising the event, and that's why he had to run it for. I don't know if it was if he had ABC that first year, because I think they just gave up and left, <laughs> hang around doing nothing like this. It was not you know they're used to shooting events that you schedule. You know, to start at two o'clock on this day, and you know they were ready and went, ran, and that was it. Went home, you know, and to hang around to wait till the surf got it was you know, not something that worked for them. Yeah. But they televised next year, and I think Jim McKay was announcer, and you know, so they had it on the wide world of sports, and you know. Everybody who watched that got to see. And, you know, by then, the, you know, all the early surf movies before that, the pipeline was featured usually in the pipe out section of the movies. Yes. <laughs> you know, because that's what most everybody did at the pipeline, including me, you know. And, you know, by 1970, 71, 72, you know, I already had some pretty good pipe boards and, you know, a lot of us that surfed there regularly and, you know, weren't, there was just a handful. 
were um, starting to figure the place out. And, uh, you know, and that was it. That was the and the great thing about the pipeline compared to that was that it was close to shore and it was really easy to film. So for like 80 it was, you know, a slam mm -hmm. and if the waves were decent um you know they could make a pretty good show out of it were you giving post heat interviews during then too no they didn't have anything like that they only you know jim mckade only show up for well i mean like the first two years there was only six guys in the whole contest so it was one heat you know how how long was it an hour over oh i don't know maybe probably not that long you know because wanted to get it over with and but, was it best two rides or what was the score oh it was three rides wow that's hard to do at pipeline yeah <laughs> kind of but then I think the third year they had 12 guys. And um, so there was two heats and then a final, a six man final. And, you know, then they'd interview us. And I think it was in 74. Was that the year they had the Olympics in LA? Well, you're calling me on the spot on something. Let's just say yes, Jerry. Or maybe it was 76, I don't know. I thought it was 74, but. Well, you know, we'll let it be. History can be remembered how we like it. So what year would you like it to be? <laughs> well, it was a year after they had the Olympics in LA. And okay. <clears throat> I'm gonna get in so much trouble for this. <laughs> Mark Spitz won going, eight gold medals. And, you know, ABC brought him out to be the announcer and so, I got to be interviewed by Mark Spitz, you know, and, and uh, that was kind of cool. And then how much longer ABC stuck around for, <laughs> for that. But, you know, that was the beginning of the Pipe Masters. And, you know, I ended up surfing in like 25 years of Pipe Masters. And um, wow, I mean, I think the first one was before Kelly was born. And, uh, you know, it was a great run. And it was, it's still, a, you know, a great contest. I mean, here they had, that was quite an event to have the world championship come down to the final two surfers, you know, and be decided in the final of the pipe match. That was like the real icing on the cake. Yeah. So Jerry, I got an idea here. We are okay. taking we're taking a lot of your energy and time and I do not want this to end. I don't think the 3000 some odd people on here right now do. How are you feeling? You want to just turn this into kind of a little series part and we return for for another interview, you know, and, yeah, and not uh, yeah. take too much out of you? Let's do it again. I mean, I can't believe Okay. We went over an hour. I'm starting oh, to you've been talking for an hour and 15 minutes. 
it's amazing. I'm literally just like, I don't want it to end, but I just have to be respectful and know you've got to be a little winded right now, but why not do it yeah. again? I'm going to get a lot of crap for talking too much, but that's all right. I'm used I to it. I promise you, who, who's ever giving you crap for talking too much, there's this thing called blocking on Instagram. We'll both do it. It's fantastic. You just block them and they're out of your life forever. <laughs> okay, you can show me how to do that. <laughs> awesome. Hey, Jerry, you made, I know I'm not alone here, you've made today extra special. Thank you so, so much. And I'm excited for what's next. We made it to 1974. Is it, how about this? Let's do a preview right now of what, what we're going to talk about as we, the next interview. Well, remember this, this is what you wanted to see. Yes, it is. <laughs> That's the sword from Conan the Barbarian. That's right. So we can talk about that sometime too. Dude, I, I love you. You are so cool. This has just been honestly very special. Thank you, Jerry. You bet. That was fun, Alex. So. I, I'm happy you're enjoying this. And uh, we'll let the people wait a little bit and we'll tease them and we'll do this again and maybe again. Yeah, I mean, you know, what's going on in the world right now? Everybody caught inside like they are. Yeah. It's fun to talk about surf because <laughs> surfers know how to deal with getting caught inside. Well, okay, how about this? Can you leave us on a little note of, uh, you know, wisdom and, and advice during this time that's really riddled with fear and uh, a lot of unknown factors? Well, you know, this is, uh, this is the strangest thing. I mean, this is like the biggest set the world maybe seen in a long time, you know, and I can't believe that it's caught everybody, every single person inside, you know, usually somebody escapes. <laughs> That's how big this set is. And, you know, I mean, when that happens, we know from surfing that you got some choices, you know, you can like give up and, you know, you can panic is even worse. Or you just, you know, kind of see what's happening. You just put your head down, keep paddling. You, you know, you try and hold position. Eventually, the set's going to pass, and, and the law will come, and you know, then we can make our move and get to the line. Perfect, Jerry. Thank you so much to the world. We are so appreciative of you. Thank you for everything you do for us today over these generations of years. We'll see you soon. <laughs> Much love, Jerry. You're a right. man. Thank you. How to end this, so you're going to have to do that. Okay, I got you on this. Watch this. Ready? It's at the click of a button. Here we go. All right. See you, Jerry. See you, Alex. <laughs>